Last summer, I passed through Dothan, Alabama on my way to Montgomery from Jacksonville, Florida, where I had been for the Clergy Laity Congress. It has been the usual practice of the Greek Orthodox Church that we have these clergy laity gatherings every summer, alternating between regional gatherings and national gatherings. But under the shadow of the coronavirus, nothing is certain anymore. We are all experiencing many uncertainties. Probably first and foremost in many people's minds are the economic and financial uncertainties. We have come into a recession and people have lost their jobs seen a reduction in their income. Global production has declined. And so we're all uncertain about what the future holds economically and financially. One area of that economy, of course, is the educational sector. Perhaps you don't know whether or not you will be going back to an in-person class next year or whether everything will be online. And then, of course, there are a lot of social uncertainties that we're dealing with now. Uncertainty about how our society will respond to the realities of police brutality, of racism, and of injustice, and the subtle systems, of course, that perpetuate those things. And then coming back, of course, to the coronavirus, a lot of us are uncertain whether or not we'll be healthy or sick. A lot of us are facing uncertainty even about life and death. But we heard today in the epistle reading, that the saints faced those uncertainties and far greater uncertainties. Can you imagine being thrown into a den of hungry lions, for example? Perhaps that would cause you to feel a little uncertain. Or marched into a furnace that was then heated seven times hotter than usual to really, really burn you up. Or perhaps, what would it be like to be surrounded by an enemy army that wanted to capture and kidnap you, as happened to one of the great saints whom we commemorate today, the prophet Elisha, called in our texts Eliseos, but I'll just use the more common term, Elisha. In case you don't know this story, or if you've forgotten, I'm going to just refresh your memory right now. During this point in the life of the prophet Elisha, the Syrian king was sending down bands of soldiers into Israel's territory. And the prophet, illuminated by God, of course, was informing the king of Israel where these squadrons of enemy troops were. And so the king of Israel was able to avoid them. He was able to watch them. He had spies on the lookout. And so he did not suffer loss because he was informed by the holy prophet of the location of the enemy. And as you might imagine, the Syrian king got a little bit frustrated with this. He said to his soldiers, how in the world is it that the king of Israel knows before I get there where I'm going to be? And so his soldiers tell him they've got a holy prophet on their side, and he is the one who's informing the king of Israel. Well, he says, well, go get this holy prophet. Go capture him, kidnap him, bring him back here because he's thwarting our plans. So he sends his army, the Syrian army, to go get the prophet Elisha. And one morning, when the servant of the prophet Elisha wakes up, he goes outside of the tent and looks around, and along the rim he sees 
all the enemy forces. And he turns to the prophet and says, Master, what are we going to do? The holy prophet said, Don't fear. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. The next thing the prophet does is he prays that God would open the eyes of his servant. And what happens? He sees an array of horses and chariots of fire, all arrayed against the enemy host. And as you can imagine, the prophet Elisha was not captured that day by the Syrian forces. This is the experience of the saints of our church. In the midst of uncertainties, just as we are facing, and even greater than we are facing. And we hear that it is by faith that they stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, they quenched raging fire. By faith, they put enemy armies to flight and even became agents of the resurrection. The holy prophet Elisha himself raised people from the dead, both when he was living and after his death. His bones were so full of grace that his relics brought someone back from the dead when he was put into the grave where Elisha had been laid. And so the message to us today, brothers and sisters, is that we too, by faith, can experience the same victory in the midst of these uncertainties. Yes, by faith, we can reform our police culture and work for justice and against racism in our country. By faith, we can help each other financially through this recession. And yes, by faith, we can face even the threat of sickness and death with indestructible hope in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I can imagine some of you will ask, how? What is the fabric of faith? How is faith built? How can I have more faith? It all depends on where you aim your arrows of desire. The first question is, do you really want more faith? Because faith comes with a price. And so we have to be honest about that question. Do I really want more faith? But if you do, I have good news for you. All you have to do is ask God for it. Because faith is a gift. It's a gift that God wants to give you if you ask him for it from your heart in simplicity and in truth. Just say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And he will give you the faith that you ask for. But there is another issue. Sometimes there are obstacles to having greater faith. These obstacles that live within us, one of them is a passionate attachment to things of this world. The place where the prophet Elisha was surrounded by the enemy army, the name of that place was Dothan, which we learn from St. Nilos the ascetic means sufficient detachment. So I'm going to invite you to reframe you can even take a sheet of paper. Perhaps you'll be listening to this after it's recorded and posted online. You can actually hit the pause button. I want you to make a list of everything in your life that you love. 
and everything in your life that gives you joy. And then after you're done at the top of that list, I want you to write God's loans to me. And maybe if you want, you can think about how you will give them back to God at the end with interest. And there's a very easy way to do that, and it's to thank God for them as often as you can. To thank God for all these gifts or all these loans that he has given you in your life. And if those items that you list happen to be people, you can even write them a note. I would suggest a handwritten note in honor of another great saint whom we celebrate today, the patriarch of Constantinople, Methodius, who was a confessor of the faith and an excellent calligrapher, by the way. He once copied the Psalter, the book of Psalms, seven times during one great Lent. Every week he would handwrite a copy of the Psalms. So how about a handwritten note to the people you love, to the people who give you joy? And you can start it like this. Dear so-and-so, I thank God for you, period. And then write a little bit about why you thank God for them, what you love about them, why you're appreciative of them. And then at the very end, a closing, thankful to God for you with love, and then, of course, your name. These are little things that we could do to help remind ourselves that these things that God has given us in our lives are loans and not to be passionately attached to them in a way that is going to prevent us from having faith. So I want you to remember Dothan, which means sufficient detachment. As I was thinking about those chariots of fire that the prophet Elisha saw, my mind went to a great poem that was inspired by that image of chariots of fire. It's a poem by William Blake as a preface to his great poem, Milton. And it goes something like this. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded there among these dark satanic mills? Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. It's a beautiful poem of patriotic faith. And it's interesting that at the very end of the poem, Blake wrote an inscription. It was a reference to scripture. It was Numbers 11.29. Do you know when we heard Numbers 11.29? About a week ago um, at the Great Vespers for the Feast of Pentecost. And that verse was a statement by Moses, would that all of God's people were prophets when the Lord would place his spirit upon them. So we read it as a prefiguration and a prophecy of the gift of the Holy Spirit to all the saints whom we celebrate today. So beautiful. And when Blake talks about mental fight, he's talking about the battle within. He's talking about the battle against things like passionate attachment. 
And when he talks about, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand, he's talking about the sword of the Spirit that we hear about in Ephesians 6. And so I leave you with this thought, that if we want to experience that experience of heaven on earth, which is always momentary and fleeting in this world, if we want to experience that, if we want to experience that Jerusalem of which Blake wrote, which begins within, then we should remember that the road to Jerusalem goes through Dothan. Amen.